MSW Media. Thanks to Ana Luisa for supporting the MSW Book Club. Ana Luisa makes beautiful, sustainable jewelry at fair prices. For 10% off, go to shop.analuisa.com slash book club and use code book club. And thanks to Dipsy for supporting the MSW Book Club. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories. If you're looking to heat things up or take your mind off the news, there's a story waiting for you. Get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com ag. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to the MSW Book Club. I'm your host, A.G. Allison Gill. This is episode five in the series on the New York Times bestseller, Allow Me to Retort by Ellie Mistal. Today I'm covering chapters 11 and 12, starting on page 112 in the hardback edition. Chapter 11 is called, It's Not Unusual to be Cruel, and Ellie opens with a discussion about the death penalty, pointing out he's against it, and that those of us who oppose it for moral reasons, we have a lot harder argument to make than those who just have legal objections because most people have no problem killing people, quote, who deserve it, unquote. And for those of us who aren't just talking about him or me, right, that's not, the, that's not what we're talking about here in the people, you know, a lot of people don't mind killing people. Most of us aren't just talking about him or me, that kind of a situation. Most of us can agree, Ellie says, that we would kill someone who was trying to kill us. If it's him or me, you know, they got to go. But there are a broad number of people who would kill someone because they're too dangerous to live. And he gives examples. Would you kill a baby Hitler? Of course you would, because you'd prevent millions of deaths. But to oppose the death penalty for moral reasons, you have to deny two ancestral human emotions, fear and revenge. And it's not really morally clear, Ellie says, why anyone who isn't the victim or the victim's family should have a say in the death of a bad guy. Quote, if killing a person who is trying to kill you is more or less okay, how is killing a person who successfully killed your family wrong? Unquote. But the legal argument against the death penalty is pretty straightforward. Going back to Moses and thou shalt not kill, that commandment is as OG as it gets, right? But the first historically verifiable lawmaker was Hammurabi, that's the eye-for-an-eye guy from Babylon who had a list of 25 things that were punishable by death. And by the 7th century BC, the Athenians made all crimes punishable by death. All crimes. But that can t take a backseat to the point of the law itself. Quote, to have rules that can be relied upon as opposed to whims that are applied in an arbitrary and capricious fashion by a despot. Unquote. And the death penalty is totally bereft of any characteristics of good law. It's unreliable. It's not repeatable in that similar crimes are treated differently based on minor factors like geography, 
or the subjective views of a judge or jury. And it's not fair in that capital punishment is disproportionately doled out to poor people and people of color. And so while the death penalty could be theoretically okay, the way we apply it is fucked. And that's covered in the Eighth Amendment, which says, here's the relevant language, excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishment. Ellie points out that it's totally unhelpful as there are no definitions to provide uh, provided for cruel and unusual. So that's like, well, thanks. That leaves it up to us. And he reminds us that in 1787, it was totes normal to beat children with tree branches and burn witches. Things are different now, which shows the Eighth Amendment is a living thing. It changes as our needs in society and morals change. But, quote, we share the country with people who will not let us have nice things. These people are called originalists, and they will not allow our polity to function rationally. Unquote. And since people were put to death back then with no real argument against it, that must mean cruel and unusual can't include capital punishment. Originalists would say the only real thing in the Eighth Amendment, uh, that the, the only real thing the Eighth Amendment prohibits is torture. Ellie says, quote, I say, I don't give a shit. To my mind, the Eighth Amendment is the cleanest battle to be had with originalists. Ellie says it doesn't matter what they did back then. And the Constitution doesn't require us to be forever hobbled by their sociopathy. I love that line. He goes on to say that the states have been able to narrow down the list of crimes that warrant the death penalty, so it makes no sense that we remain locked into the punishment. We changed the list of things. Why are we locked on the punishment? And a modern reading of the Eighth Amendment would read it to outlaw the death penalty. And this has actually been done before in a case called Furman v. Georgia, where the Supreme Court decided one of Georgia's laws that allowed the death penalty violated the Eighth Amendment because it was applied arbitrarily and capriciously. And Thurgood Marshall and William Brennan ruled the death penalty unconstitutional in all circumstances. Here's what Justice Marshall wrote, quote, Perhaps the most important principle in analyzing cruel and unusual punishment questions is one that is reiterated again and again in the prior opinions of the court, i.e. the cruel and unusual language, quote, must draw its meaning from the evolving standards of decency that mark the progress of a maturing society, unquote. Thus, a penalty that was permissible at one time in our nation's history is not necessarily permissible today. That decision didn't last long. It was reversed in 1976 in a case called Gregg v. Georgia, where SCOTUS ruled that Georgia's new death penalty statute had enough procedural protections to make it okay to start killing people again. Completely ignoring the, quote, progress of a maturing society idea. And ever since... Every argument against the death penalty has been about the method being cruel and unusual, not that we're fucking killing people. <laughs> States have moved from hanging to firing squads to gas chambers to electric chairs and now lethal injections. And now companies who make the drugs used in lethal injections have started depriving states of their preferred cocktails in what Ellie calls one of the best and coolest examples of the market correcting failures in the government. Of course, conservatives are pissed about this, and there's a movement to bring back firing squads now. And the annoyed right-wing asshole argument has manifested itself into a series of increasingly harsh decisions from Supreme Court justices. Quote, the most cruel, the most needlessly fucking sadistic ruling came from Justice Neil Gorsuch in 2019's Bucklew versus Persyth, unquote. The case was about a murderer named Bucklew, sentenced to death in Missouri. One of the states that had to cobble together a drug cocktail because manufacturers stopped sending them what they wanted. So they decided on a lethal dose of pentobarbital. But Bucklew had a condition called 
cavernous uh, what hemangioma, which could make the use of pentobarbital extremely excruciating and painful. But Gorsuch wrote in the majority opinion, quote, the Eighth Amendment forbids cruel and unusual methods of capital punishment, but does not guarantee a prisoner a painless death, unquote. Ellie says, what a bastard, what a heartless bastard thing to write while condemning a man to die painfully. But Gorsuch goes further by doing what originalists do, makes shit up where the Constitution is vague. He rules that in order for something to be cruel and unusual, pain has to be, quote, super added on top of however the state decides to kill you. Here's his part of the decision. This is part of it. Quote, while the Eighth Amendment doesn't forbid capital punishment, yes, it does. It does speak to how states may carry out that punishment, prohibiting methods that are cruel and unusual. What does this term mean? At the time of the framing, English law still formally tolerated certain punishments, even though they had largely fallen into disuse. Punishments in which terror, pain, or disgrace were superadded to the penalty of death. And that is the wrong interpretation of the Eighth, because, like all originalists that describe their fairy tale about the founding of America, he forgot about slavery. In his opinion, Gorsuch quoted William Blackstone's Commentaries on the Laws of England in a spiel about methods of execution that would have been considered cruel and unusual when the Eighth Amendment was written. Quote, these included such disgusting practices as dragging the prisoner to the place of execution, disemboweling, quartering, public dissection, burning alive, all of which Blackstone observed savored, tortured, or savored torture and cruelty. But all of those methods were used to kill black people and would have been called totally acceptable to kill black people when the Eighth Amendment was ratified. So Gorsuch lied when he said those methods were long disused by the time of the founding. For the framers, it wasn't about the method of execution that was or wasn't cruel or unusual. It was about who was being put to death. So state-sponsored arbitrary murder made legal through the definition of cruel applied by slaveholders can't possibly be legitimate. Quote, come on. I struggle accepting that originalists even believe the bullshit that comes out of their own mouths. It makes no sense to have a legal definition of cruel centered upon what some 18th century assholes thought that word should mean, especially when they changed their definition of the word based on the race of their victim, unquote. However, Ellie points out that arguing the death penalty can't be done in a civilized society is different than arguing against it as a moral failure, which brings us back to his opening statements in this chapter about how it's more difficult to argue on moral grounds than legal ones. He says, let's consider Bucklew again. And some content warning here, because I'm about to tell you what Bucklew did. His girlfriend wanted to leave him. When she tried to break up with him, he held a knife to her, cut her jaw with a knife. She fled with her kids to a friend's house where he tracked them down shot the friend, tried to shoot the kids but missed, then kidnapped his girlfriend, took her to a secluded area where he raped her at gunpoint. He was apprehended but somehow escaped, went back to his girlfriend's house, beat his girlfriend's mother with a hammer before he was apprehended again. Ellie says, quote, If you want a moral argument for why Bucklew should live, you'll have to pull out a copy of The Black Guy's Guide to the Bible. Many of you have one. You probably just call it the New Testament in your house. He says, I've got nothing for you there. All I can tell you is that Russell Bucklew was put to death by the state of Missouri on October 1st, 2019. Legally, that was the wrong result. The Constitution allows us to do better than this. Unquote. That wraps up chapter 11. We're going to take a quick break. I'll be right back with chapter 12. It's called The Most Important Part. Stay with us. 
Hey everyone, spring fever is in the air with the smell of fresh blooms, the sun shining down on us, January 6th committee hearings. You might need to take your mind off of some stuff once in a while. And you can't help but feel inspired to spice things up and explore your inner desires. Find stories that match your mood this season on Dipsy, D-I-P-S-E-A. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories to help you unlock your sensuality with ever-growing collections of options that also include wellness sections, dreamy sleep scenes, uh, sometimes when I need to relax, need a break, pop in my earbuds, go on a walk, use Dipsy to take a quick mental vacation. It helps take my mind off whatever stressful thing I'm feeling anxious about, and it transports me to an entirely different place and time where everything turns out just fine. <laughs> then I can return to my daily life for the news and the hearings. Uh, Dipsy is full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters, no matter what you're into or what you're up to. Dipsy also has sleep stories, wellness sessions, and now they offer written stories. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of this show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial. Check it out for free for 30 days when you go to dipsystories.com slash AG. That's a 30-day full access free trial for no money when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories, dipsystories.com slash AG. That's dipsystories.com slash AG. And I want to talk to you about my new favorite brand of jewelry. It's called Ana Luisa. Ana Luisa has an incredible assortment of high-quality, unique, affordable jewelry crafted with the planet in mind. They make the best gifts. Their products are 100% water neutral, 100% carbon neutral. And not just the jewelry, but the packaging and everything. 100% neutral. Their entire selection is reasonably priced, too. They have fair prices starting at $39, making it even easier for you to shop for yourself or to find the perfect gift for someone else. I recently got a pair of Milan Blue Pearl Drop earrings. They're adorable, they're beautiful, one of my favorite colors, and they really help take some of my favorite outfits to the next level. I really, really do love them. Simple, elegant, beautiful, sustainable. And we have an Ana Luisa deal for you. Go treat yourself and your loved ones. Use my code BOOKCLUB to get 10% off your absolute recommended items. I love them. They're a great brand. They make beautiful, sustainable jewelry. Check them out at shop.analuisa.com slash bookclub and use code BOOKCLUB. Again, for 10% off, go to shop.analuisa.com slash bookclub and use code bookclub. Once again, that's shop.analuisa.com slash bookclub and use code bookclub. Everybody, welcome back. Let's start with chapter 12 here. It's called The Most Important Part. Ellie opens by explaining that so far, he's been explaining the Constitution with one hand tied behind his back because he's been explaining things through the lens of the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments, the way originalists do. He used the Eighth Amendment to argue against the death penalty, Sixth Amendment to argue against the concept of an impartial jury, used the Fourth Amendment to argue that cops can't harass, arrest, or murder him. Quote, I can make a textualist or even an originalist case against that kind of white supremacy infused in our Constitution. And this reminds me of the part in The Princess Bride where the Dread Pirate Roberts asks Inigo Montoya during that famous sword fight why he's smiling. And Inigo says, because I know something you don't know. I am not left-handed. And then he switches. Yeah. Ellie says, any understanding of the Constitution doesn't have to be limited to the original document because that document is dead. Quote, it was shot at Bull Run. It burned in the Battle of the Wilderness. It bled the ground red at Gettysburg. As a black person, I do not even acknowledge the legitimacy of the original Constitution, much less think our modern rights and responsibilities can be understood only through its lens. Unquote. Whew. The original document counted slaves as three-fifths of a person. And Ellie points out that the language makes it obvious that they knew slavery was wrong and didn't care because they didn't say slaves. It said all other persons. And when you dig deeper... 
L.A. says it's clear that the three-fifths clause was put in there to help the slavers. Southerners were outnumbered by Northerners, so they wanted to count their slaves, but they didn't want to give them full personhood. They aren't actual people, so they counted them as three-fifths to give their captors more congressional representation. And Ellie says, a document that flawed, that failed, that spectacularly should have been thrown out with the bathwater. He points out that South Africa did it. Quote, they didn't just track changes and strike through the old apartheid constitution. You can't make Freddy Krueger friendly by giving him a new hat. Unquote. <laughs> now, they wrote a whole new constitution in South Africa. They adopted it in 1996. While we have a constitutional crisis every time a Republican president figures out a new way to commit crimes, they just wrote a whole new one. But no, white Northerners believe their document was fixable. And the real argument between liberals and conservatives on the Supreme Court isn't about the third rail political issues. It boils down to whether the new amendments actually did anything to fix the original document. It's kind of hard to see that with now that we've seen Alito's draft leaked out on his Roe decision saying any rights that were established after the founding don't count. I mean, fuck. Conservatives, Ellie says, act as though they did not. The, the, the new amendments didn't do anything to fix the original document. And this book was published before we got the Alito draft on Roe, by the way. And Ellie says liberals believe the new amendments changed everything. But he points out, as did Mary Trump in her book, The Reckoning, that the Reconstruction Amendments, that's 13th and 14th and 15th Amendments, and eventually the 19th Amendment, giving women the right to vote, did not perfect the document, left a lot of room for us to backslide back into white supremacy, white male supremacy. And without those four amendments, the rest of the Constitution, quote, is a violent piece of shit that can be used to justify or allow the legalized supremacy of white men all, over all others, unquote. And that's why the entire goal of the conservative legal project has been to limit the scope of the protections of the new amendments. That's it. That's their whole goal. Ellie says at the founding, all the power belonged to white men, and almost all of the other amendments and common law updates exist to change ever so slightly what white men get to, get to control. But, and here's where Ellie says, I am not left-handed, the new Constitution, Reconstruction, and 19th Amendments say white men have to share the power with everyone else, and not just theoretically. Quote, those amendments demand that the power is actually shared among our multicultural society, or else the government ceases to be legitimate. If legislatures and courts would only apply them that way, right? And here, Ellie says he can make the case that the only amendments he needs to run a free and fair society are the 14th Amendment and the First Amendment. Here's, a, here's an example he gives in the book. Hey, I'd like to buy some slaves. Sorry, that's a violation of the equal protection of the laws and substantive due process. Well, I didn't say black slaves. I said any old slaves. Yeah, still, there's no fair process by which you could acquire people as chattel. Okay, fine. Well, I don't want to let everyone vote. Now, that sounds like a violation of equal protection to me. Well, fine, they can vote, but they can't live next to me. And that's a violation of substantive due process in home buying. Shut up, dude. First Amendment. <laughs> well, what if I wanted to take everyone's guns? I bet you say that's a violation of substantive due process, too. No, that's cool. Go right ahead. Now, here's the text of the first section of the 14th Amendment. All persons born or naturalized in the United States subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of that state in which they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, 
nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. So, everyone who's born here is a citizen. All citizens have the same rights. Those rights can't be taken away just because you live in a shitty state. And the right to life, liberty, and property applies to black people now. Sorry. And we can't have laws that only protect white people. We can't have a country that only works for white people. We just can't. We just fought a freaking war. Stop it. So, the Reconstruction and 19th Amendments obliterate the white male supremacy, but conservatives argue that those amendments must be interpreted according to their public meaning back when they were written, instead of as they were ideally written. And Ellie says that's fucking insulting. He says, here's your boy, Abraham Lincoln, speaking at Cooper Union. Quote, I will say then that I am not, nor have I ever been in favor of bringing about in any way the social and political equality of the white and black races. That I am not, nor ever have been in favor of making voters of, or jurors of Negroes, nor of qualifying them to hold office, nor to intermarry with white people. And I will say in addition to this, there is a physical difference between the white and the black races, which I believe will forever forbid the two races from living together on terms of social and political equality. And inasmuch as they cannot so live, while they do remain together, there must be the position of superior and inferior, and I as much as any other man am in favor of having the superior position assigned to the white race. That's Lincoln. So the conservative desire to center rights on what the best available white men in the 1860s could imagine is ridiculous. The Reconstruction and 19th Amendments could redeem the entire fucking thing, but white people won't let it. Quote, I say the 14th Amendment must mean that votes of black people cannot be suppressed by voter ID laws, and all white people tell me no. I say black political power can't be gerrymandered away by racist white legislatures, and white people tell me no. I say the 14th Amendment grants equal protection, and it must protect me from racial harassment by the cops and entitles me to equal pay for my talents and promises me that my peaceful protest will be treated with the same permissiveness the cops accord to the mob of white insurrectionists storming the nation's capital, and the white people tell me, no, no, no. Unquote. These amendments could cure white male supremacy if white people would let them. And that brings us to the end of the chapter and the end of the episode. I'll be back next week with chapters 13, 14, and 15. There's a new episode of Muller She Wrote out today. It's big, a lot of connecting dots. And I'll be back tomorrow with the Daily Beans. Lots of news to cover. We just had that hearing, amazing hearing on the from the 1-6 committee. We'll talk about that. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. I've been AG, and this is the MSW Book Club. The MSW Book Club is executive produced by Allison Gill in partnership with MSW Media and written by Allison Gill and Dana Goldberg. Sound design and engineering by Molly Hockey. Jesse Egan is our copywriter and our art and web designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios. The MSW Book Club is a proud member of MSW Media, a group of creator-owned podcasts focused on news, justice, and politics. For more information, visit mswmedia.com.